see a number of uh, unfamiliar faces this morning uh, with our friend day. So if you were invited by somebody from our church, or maybe you just came in, we want to say a special welcome to you uh, for our Bethesda Church uh, Friend Day. And we trust you will feel welcome. And if you don't have a church home, that you would consider uh, making Bethesda your church home. And say a special welcome to our group of hunters here in the front. Pastor Matt Buckles uh, is with us. Um, they're from Mississippi. And he's been with us a few times, I think, and hunted with John out at uh, Byron Bible Camp. So a special welcome to you guys uh, as well this morning. So today, uh, for Friend Day, I've entitled the sermon, A Word to the Weary. You know, when I was in third grade, I believe it was, was a long time ago, I'm not even going to say what year it was, um, but I was in third grade, I had a little, um, it was a um, plaid drawstring bag, it was about that big, and inside the bag, I had a bag full of marbles. And at recess time, now kids have iPhones, right? No, no marbles, it's iPhones. Uh, marbles are cheaper, but anyhow. So we'd go out for recess, and we would shoot marbles, and if the kid hit your marble, he got to keep it. <laughs> I didn't like that game. I didn't like losing my marbles. <laughs> I know some of you said, yeah, you lost them a long time ago, didn't you? <laughs> uh, I didn't like losing my marbles. Uh, because I, as a kid, especially, was not a risk taker. I didn't like taking risks. And so I tended not to even play the game because I wanted to hang on to my marbles. <laughs> and, and I did. Uh, but you know, as I think about life, um, we kind of come in with a bag of marbles, mentally, and we try to hang on to them. But in this world that we live in, it's pretty hard. It really is. Uh, it's hard mentally to hang on to all the marbles. Because being in pastoral ministry for 20 years, plus years, I have been to the psych ward to visit people. I have stood in front of a congregation to deliver a funeral message over someone who took their life because they didn't feel like it was worth living. We had here in our neighboring community a young man take his life in recent weeks. So it tells me that there are a lot of weary people in our world. There's a lot of weary people. They're weary mentally, they're weary emotionally, and they can't seem to find the strength to make it to the next day. And so when I look at this psalm and I think about David and his life, and what does he go back to? He goes back to where his security is. His security is only in the Lord. And so he starts off here, and depending on what version you have, uh, the one that Matt read from this morning talked about his soul being in silence, quietness. The NIV says, my soul finds rest in God alone. In that quietness, in that rest, we find strength to carry on. And so the first thing we want to see here is the fortress of our security is in God alone. 
There is no other place to find security in this world. You will not find it in the government, the political realm. We just came through elections. We've had nothing but commercials going through our head, right? You're not going to find it in education. You're not going to find it in your bank account. You're going to find it in your own intellect or even another human relationship. Because human relationships change and they're temporary. This relationship is permanent. The fortress of our security is in God alone. He said, my soul finds rest. When he talks about his soul, he's talking about his life, his breath, his desires, his passion, his mind. Everything about him finds rest in God alone. There is no other place to find it. His emotions, his confidence, his trust, his expectation is in God alone. And who is this God? This is the God that spoke the world into existence. He hung the stars in space. He created day and night, the oceans, the mountains, everything God created. This is where our security is because he's the one who made us. There is no one else. It is only in him that we can find that. He is a supernatural being who rules over the universe, and he formed us in our mother's womb. He fashioned us exactly the way he wanted us to be, so he knows my emotional makeup. He knows your emotional makeup. He knows what discourages you, what pulls you down. And so who am I going to run to? Where am I going to run when I have difficulty, when I feel insecure? When I feel unsafe, I'm going to run to the security of God. That's what David said. I'm running to God. Because the enemy wants us to feel threatened and anxious that everything's out of control. God wants us to have rest. But I want us to jump down for a moment to verse 3. Because you see, in the midst of us having rest and having security in God, there is a threat to our security. There is a threat to our safety. There's an opposition. Look in verse 3. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? He's saying a leaning wall and a tottering fence is very weak. It's ready to collapse. <laughs> it's ready to go under. They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouth they bless, but in their hearts they curse. I should have put those up on the screen for you. The psalmist here does not identify his enemies who are trying to destroy him. But God is teaching the psalmist to trust God in the midst of hostile circumstances. And here's where we believe the backdrop of this psalm comes from is when David is fleeing from Absalom, his son, who wants to usurp authority and take over the throne. Now think about that. His son, his own son. You talk about pressure and stress. How do we move from being burdened to being blessed? How do we move from being stressed to find rest? How do we do that? We have to run to God. So I want to take a moment... We all have enemies. David had some. And let's look at some enemies that were evident in David's life 
they are also evident in ours. If we are honest, let's not bury our head in the sand. Let's not live in denial. Let's live in reality. We all face these things. Some rest robbers. Some rest robbers. What is it that steals our rest? We only have time to mention a few. One is conflict. David's family had incredible conflict in his family. History tells us that David's son, Amnon, raped his sister. (laughs) Talk about conflict. Raped his sister, Tamar. And then his other son, Absalom, comes along and kills Amnon to get revenge for what his brother did to his sister. Is that conflict? Family conflict? Just a little bit? Sometime later, Absalom conspires against his father David, and Absalom is assassinated. Conflict? After all this, Adonijah, another one of David's sons, conspires to take over his father's throne. And finally, when Solomon is proclaimed king, he has Adonijah killed. (laughs) One raped daughter, one son a rapist, two murdered sons, one son a murderer, and two conspiracies to take over the family empire. This conflict is a picture of brokenness in our society. And while we think that's bad, our society is just as bad and broken. So how do we fix that brokenness? We live in a broken world. It's busted. It doesn't work. Conflict like that leads to something else. It leads to pain. When you have that kind of conflict, think about the pain that must have been in King David's heart. He could have gone somewhere to a drug, to alcohol, to an illicit relationship, to some other means to soothe the conflict and the pain in his heart. Because that's what people do. He did sleep with Bathsheba. He got her pregnant while her husband was out fighting the war. And King David feels the sting of that pain of his disobedience to God. And this sting from his pain flows out of his brokenness. All of this conflict and pain, what's that lead to? Shame. (laughs) Why would he even want to show his face? His family is in disarray. Why would you even want to go out in public? Your family's a wreck. Do you want to face people when you have conflict inside, when you have pain inside? Or do you want to run and escape reality? He was shamed about the disintegration of relationships within his family. He was shamed about breaking God's law and sleeping with Bathsheba. He was shamed... See, shame can come from two sources. It can either come from something you have done or something that was done to you. And it is a powerful motivator that Satan uses to rob us of the rest and security that God has for every one of us. 
Satan wants to steal it. The conflict, the pain, and the shame ultimately lead to fear. Now you're fearful. And of course, David is fleeing for his life from his son Absalom. His son is on, he's on the run. He knows that he wants to kill him. He feels threatened by Absalom's rebellion against him. Let me ask you a question. What fear or fears grip your heart and mind and hang on to you like crazy glue that you can't shake? What does all this mean to cultivating a life of prayer and attentiveness to God? It's like David was going under the waves. And then from there, fear is a close companion to worry. David had to be weighed down with worry. He's worried about what will happen to him, what will happen to his family, what will happen to his son Absalom. How about worry in your life? Do you worry about your kids, your grandkids? Do you worry about your health, financial obligations? Do you worry over acceptance? Do people like me? Am I good enough? Do I measure up? Do I fit in? Is it any wonder why we have not just young people, but even professional athletes turning to performance-enhancing drugs? Why? Because their whole self-worth is wrapped up in their performance. That they've got to have this image. Do you worry about being found out, having your secrets exposed? Let me share two things here. Let, let's think about this. We have two main things here. We have David, who is, has brokenness. We've seen brokenness in his family. We have his son Absalom, who has brokenness. He killed his brother for raping his sister. So we see two broken people. I mean, brokenness all throughout their family. But here's what I want us to notice. What does David's brokenness lead him to do? It leads him to his fortress and security in God, in God alone. He says, doesn't he? My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He got his eyes off his circumstances, off his pain, off his fear, off his shame, off his worry, and he put it back where it belonged. What about Absalom? Absalom's brokenness. So David's brokenness leads him to humility and the development of his faith. Absalom's brokenness doesn't lead to humility. It leads to humiliation and destruction. So here's the key. It's not whether or not we're broken. We're all broken. <laughs> the question is, what do we do with our brokenness? What are we going to do with it? Where is my brokenness leading me? Is my brokenness leading me to my fortress and security that is in God and God alone? 
Or is my brokenness leading me to some kind of drug, alcohol, myself, another individual that doesn't know probably any more than you do? Where does your brokenness lead you to? Do you recognize that you are on a path that your brokenness is leading you somewhere? And is it leading you to the one where our security lies? See, God wants to use our brokenness to humble us and develop us. Are you going to the one who can heal your brokenness? Or is it leading you to increase your brokenness? Do you, here's what I want you to know. God is interested in our brokenness. He is interested in our brokenness. Because look in verse 2. We see the enemies in 3 and 4, but we go back to verse 2. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. (laughs) He's never going to be knocked off his feet to the point where he can't continue his relationship with God. He's going to get up. He's going to keep going. He might have to stagger a little bit, but not to the point where he is utterly defeated. He's saying that God is his rock, his solid ground. He is his salvation, the one who keeps him from harm, the one who delivers him from pain and shame and sorrow and suffering. Is that the salvation that comes from God? Deliverance from evil. He is my fortress. He is my refuge. He is my fortified defensive structure. He is my security, my high spot. Here's how Proverbs 18.10 says it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Security in the name of the Lord because the name of the Lord is the character of God and who he is. He will never be shaken. So let's go back to the fortress. It's God. And God alone. Let's secondly go to the foundation. The foundation of our hope is in God alone. In God alone. He says in verse 5, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He's the foundation. He's the source. What's the foundation for your hope? For your brokenness? Where's your foundation? Where do you get hope from? For tomorrow, for today. Let me quickly give you three tips for tranquility. We saw the rest robbers, but now there's some tips for tranquility. The first one is meditation on God. We see this. My soul, in verse 1, finds rest in God alone. He's still, he's quiet before God. And in that quietness, God bursts through into his memory, into his conscience, into his brokenness and says, I'm here. (laughs) I will carry you when you can't carry yourself. 
He looks with eager expectation, and it gives him this strength of steadfast endurance in God, that he's strengthened in God. In Psalm 18, too, there are six metaphors in this verse alone about God. Look, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. The horn here is referring to the animals that had so much power. and They had the horns on their head. They were used for protection. And he's saying, we've got all the protection we need in God and God alone. We have all the hope we need in God and God alone. But what happens is when people don't turn to God, they turn to something else. And that something else is not adequate. It is not sufficient for what we need in our lives. He goes on to say in verse 6, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. So we meditate. All these metaphors of God, how great he is. Because the enemy doesn't want us to do that. That's where our strength comes from. And then we also have conversation with God. Look down in verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. Trust in him at all times. That's an imperative. It's not an elective. It's not, well, maybe I should do that if I get time. No, it's an imperative. We must do this. We must pour out our heart to God. We must trust him at all times, good times, bad times, joyful times, painful times, hopeless times, hopeful times. I pour out my heart to him. I confide in him. You know why we confide in him? He doesn't tell anybody. (laughs) God is not going to tell anybody what you tell him. He's absolutely trustworthy. And so what do we do? We confess to God. Confession. Pour out your hearts to him about every hurt, every disappointment, every pain, every rejection, every betrayal can be poured out to God. And he cares. He cares. I mean... That's where it's at. We trust him. David is telling his audience there is never a time we should not trust in God. We rely on him always. Always. And then he just gives us a couple things here at the end. Well, actually right before that, let me just mention... We sang the song this morning, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The author of that hymn is Joseph Scriven. He was born in Ireland in 1820. He was educated at Trinity College in Dublin. He was engaged to be married, and the evening before their wedding, Scriven's fiancée drowned. 
He learned about the Plymouth Brethren, and he began to follow after the Plymouth Brethren. And shortly after moving to Canada, Scriven becomes a teacher. And he becomes engaged to Eliza Roach. Tragedy strikes again. And Eliza passes away from an illness shortly before his marriage. The rest of the story is he never married. But he penned these words that was never meant for song. And it was discovered shortly before his death. What a friend we have in Jesus. Think about that. A friend. One you can confide in. All our sins and griefs our pain to bear, our brokenness to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. We, we forfeit the rest. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. David's saying, this is our fortress. This is our security. This is our foundation. This is our hope. God and God alone. And then he goes on to say, you know what? Maybe you think there's another place you can place your trust. And so he shows us the futility of misplaced trust. Look down. In verse 9, low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods, so your riches increase. Do not set your heart on them. He's saying if you put whether they're high-born or low-born, you put them on one side of the scale and you put one little tiny weight on the other side of the scale, you know which way the scale's going to tip? With the tiny little weight, it's going it's to pull it down and the high men and the low men are going to go way up in the air because they're nothing more than a breath. There's no weight to them. There's no substance to them. The only substance is in God and God alone. But you know what happens in our culture? And I face the same thing because I'm a part of it. We are busy. We have hurried sickness. And we don't take time to meditate. We don't take time to converse with the God of the universe. And then we wonder why we start facing and the brokenness comes out. The futility of misplaced trust, putting it in man, putting it in temporary riches. I remember I worked with a guy a number of years ago and all he did, when he, man, he got his retirement date, that's all he talked about. In two years, seven months, and 14 days, I'm out of here. And let me tell you something. 
he never collected one payment of his retirement because he died. There's no guarantee. The only hope we have is in God and God alone. And then he winds up this last couple verses with the framework of God's judgment. He says, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong. God is strong. And that you, O Lord, are loving. You know, if you only have one of those, you have strength and no love, you have brutality. If you have love and no strength, you got a weakness. God's both. He has perfect balance of power, strength, love. And then he goes on to say, Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. God will judge our deeds. And he's a just judge. But what he wants more than anything is the same thing he wanted from David, that you and I would bring our brokenness to the Lord and cast ourselves in humility at his feet and say, God, I need you in my life. I need you. You're the only one. Because there is no other answer. But we look a lot of other places. And if you say, you know what, I, I, I would really like to believe that, but that, that sounds too good to be true. Then here's my challenge to you. You get a Bible, and if you don't have one, we'll help you get one. Tell us you need one, and we'll help you get one. And you open this book, and you ask God to open your eyes and open your mind and say, God, give me faith to believe. Give me faith to believe. And begin to read this because this is the revelation of God to us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be confident in him. He wants us to have victory in him, salvation in him, and him alone. And God will begin to do that. Faith comes by hearing, the scripture says, and hearing by the word of God. God will begin to grow your faith. My greatest passion would be there would be one person walk out of this room who doesn't have a personal relationship with God. That you would know him personally. That you would bring your brokenness to him. Don't let it lead to more humiliation and more destruction. Humble yourself. God gives, resist the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. I don't know what you came in here with today. I don't know your history. I don't know your baggage. I don't know your brokenness. But I do know this. We all have baggage and we all have brokenness. But the beautiful part is we can move from stressed to rest. We can move from burdened to blessed. 
we can move from lost to found. Maybe you came in here today and you're like, you know, I don't have a relationship with God. Oh, I've heard a few things about him, but I really don't think he's interested in me and my problems. Not when there's seven billion people on the face of the globe. You're wrong. He made you in your mother's womb. He cares about every cell of your body. He cares about your broken heart, your broken dreams, your pain, your shame, your fear, your worry, your conflict. He cares about all of it. And he wants to help you. And I love what my wife says. He wants to take our mess and turn it into a message. That's what he wants to do. And I am confident enough to know that he can save you if you call out to him right now. Say, God, I want to believe in you. I want to trust you. I want to know you. Would you come into my life? Would you come into my mess? Would you come into my brokenness and save me and make me a new person from the inside out so that I have that fortress and security that I heard about this morning, that I have that hope as my foundation, you can have it this morning. You ask by faith, and God will pour his grace into your heart. Call out to him right now. And if you do that, would you tell me before you leave today that today... At Friends Sunday at Bethesda Church, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and to be my Savior. Because we want to help you grow, get you resources to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. God, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. It's plain. It's relevant. It speaks into the depths of our heart to the needs that we have as broken people. Give us the ability to humble ourselves, to take off the facade, to take off the image. Say, God, would you come into my brokenness? Would you... Reveal yourself to me. Would you show me your love and grace and forgiveness for my sin? Would you heal me from my shame? Deliver me from my fear? God, you're only a prayer away. I pray that if there is one person or more here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, this would be the day of salvation. This would begin the first day of healing and restoration in their life. And they would begin to open the pages of Scripture and meditate on the God who is 
not the God who they think is. And they would begin to converse with the God of the universe. Oh God, we thank you for being our friend. A friend who sticks closer than a brother because we need you every day of our lives. We give you praise and thanks. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.